0: hey everybody welcome to another podcast here on direct motocross this is billy rainford here uh we've got someone here i've been wanting to talk about this uh since i sat down with his book and did not put it down until i got to the very end of it i've got brent worrell here brent air airmail worrell here brent how you doing
1: not too badly billy yeah thanks a lot for your phone call i appreciate it
0: yeah buddy well i i tell you i mean obviously we're going to get into all kinds of stuff and um this weird time we're in here let's have some talks i've actually got the uh American President Trump is uh, doing a live thing right now I have that on in the background here just kind of paying (laughs) paying attention to that to see what's going on but um dude this book man I don't think I've I I, I know I've never had sat down with a book that I could not stop turning the pages now I don't know if it's because I know you very well or if it's just because it's such a good book or obviously a combo of the both but man what a what a what a book
1: Thank you for the feedback, Billy. I've been getting a, a lot of good, uh, positive feedback and I, I really appreciate it. In fact, I, I got an email this morning that uh, brought me to tears. Uh, I'm going to share some of it later and uh, the image that went along with it. But um, yeah, that kind of feedback knows that uh, makes me realize that I hit my mark. Um, a lot of the content is definitely not the prettiest things to be talking about. Uh, my life was pretty dysfunctional until I got back to what defined me as a human being pretty much the sport of motocross um it's all laid out in black and white in the story and um yeah i don't know what to say pretty overwhelming i took two years to write i submitted a 187000 word manuscript (laughs) i worked uh with a publishing team of five for nine months straight and honest to god it's a marathon i never thought i was going to see the finish line of
0: man okay well i want to kind of talk about some more details but let's let's just kind of back it up i mean obviously you cover everything and man in surprising detail some some of the stuff to be honest with you you kind of touch on and then move on i'm like no no i want to hear a bit more about that but i guess you had to you know just like editing a movie stuff has to hit the uh, hit the editing room floor i suppose huh
1: yeah and just there again on no final stretch a a cape wearing hero of any sorts and um, just how big do we want a book to be? I mean, I've got it on my lap right now, and the thing almost weighs two pounds. And I know there's a lot that I left out, but my message, I believe, will resonate with everybody who chooses to read it loud and clear, that uh, no matter who we are, where we've been in life, or how far down that rabbit hole we go, and we all end up there, my personal experiences at the bottom of it was quicksand. And until I reached a hand out to say, hey, I can't do this on my own. I need some help. Um, I was going to die.
0: Man, yeah, it's, it's funny you kind of mentioned that. It's like, I got a buddy who's like a two-time Olympian, all this stuff out in Vancouver, and his line was always, you know, we'd be walking around, obviously a pretty bad homeless situation in Vancouver and stuff. And he'd always say, you know what, we are all one bad decision from being in that position right there, you know? So it's like, it's so true, but like you say, we're all just, yeah. uh, you know, it doesn't take much.
1: Yeah, I, I really like that. And, you know, with the heightened, heightened awareness of what we're dealing with globally right now, I think – um, That's on everybody's mind. And uh, I read one of Brady Sharon's statuses here this morning, and uh, it made me chuckle, but I was thinking the exact same thing. There's always a silver lining. There's just a matter of looking for it. These are deadly, scary times. We will get through. Uh, History has shown us that, but, I mean, let's learn some lessons. Uh, The first thing we can do is maybe all be a little bit kinder. Uh, For example, I go to my post office daily to post books. There, everybody's social distancing, equidistance apart. Uh, on the flip side, you go into the grocery store, Costco, and it's full-on pandemic mayhem. People, let's get it together. We're all in this deal together, and I promise you, not one of us is getting out of this deal of life together, this uh, deal called Life Together Alive.
0: It's right. The it's, well, they have to come to a point where they say, okay, we're going to only let 10 people in at a time. You know, one in, one in, one out situation, right? We can't just have mobs in these places anymore. <laughs>
1: Yeah, our local stupid uh, store here from 7 to 8 in the morning, they'll let uh, us old disabled buzzards in, but I don't know about you, but I'm not out of the bed at that time of day.
0: No, hey, and, and another thing you mentioned about everybody being kinder, not to diminish what's going on now, but I find it, and you're in a place that gets snow, I find like when we get a crazy snowstorm, everybody is nicer to each other. You're out shoveling driveways, everyone's saying hi to each other, and now it's kind of the same thing. Everyone wants to help everybody. Like, you, you hope that, like you say, we learn something and we can actually continue to be this, you know, it's not going to happen, but uh, it'd be sure nice if we could.
1: Yeah, and, and I just, I can only speak for myself, but I mean, there's a certain level of fear. I mean, this is a deadly disease. I have half lung capacity. I've had numerous infections and basically my body's on life support. Um, I want to keep as far away from it as possible. But I mean, the reality is, is we all have to live and function and cohabitate as a society. And uh, I don't know what the answers are. I believe that science and medicine will find the answers. But in the meantime, this is a test of what I wrote about in my book, Survival and Resolve. And not just resolve, to survive, but to survive and learn from it and be a decent person. Be a constructive part of society and not on a, a word on the ass of it.
0: Right. And don't get caught up in the comment sections of a lot of tweets. Oh, man, I've wasted a lot of time in those things. <laughs>
1: Yeah, talk about rabbit holes. And, um, <laughs> and there again, it all comes back to something that I believe, too, is that uh, a lot of this ignorance and the actions we're seeing on the behalf of society is fear. And I've come to realize that in my own personal life, behind every fear is a wish. Every single person that's dealing with the aftermath, or, or not just the aftermath, but dealing with this as it sits right now and as it evolves and worsens daily, I mean, we all want it to go away. I mean, I wasn't a man of the cloth. I didn't believe in God for the longest time. Uh, you read my book and I don't even want to get into that conversation, but I believe that there is a power, a driving force in the universe. I choose to call it God and I pray and my pray today. I, I said it loud and clear or my prayer today out my bedroom window and it was as goofy as heck, but you know what? I did that. That's something I can do. That's something we can all do and whatever works for you to help get you through just get on it do
0: it i, I thought you kind of went out of your way in the book to not call it God.
1: yeah it's just in the beginning i did because i had such a hard time i was preconditioned from that sunday school experience and a lot of that stuff that happens at childhood and stays with you it's powerful i mean i, I grew up with a, a free faller and a motorcyclist for a father and and you know my dad was uh not always the kindest person. He had a method to his madness. Um, I love him with all my heart today. He's got a heart of gold, but it was different times that we lived in, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. And just to touch quickly back on a thing, Emily, my, uh, my better half is, uh, believe it or not, an emergency room nurse. She was actually in charge of the coronavirus room yesterday. And anybody listening to this out there who is still on the fence and thinking this is just a flu? It's not, it's serious, and I'm not going to get into more details because I'm not an expert either, but when Emily tells me she's afraid going to work about stuff, I know it's serious, so that's my uh, PSA right there for, (laughs) geez.
1: Yeah, and uh, uh, my heart's with you, my friend, and everybody else out there, uh, all the frontline workers, and that's why... You know, they're telling people to keep their social distancing and limit their contact outside because there's people that are doing jobs that they probably would rather not have right now. But they're doing it because like what I did with my book, is they believe in who they are and they want to help. And that's why I wrote Motocross Save My Life from its darkness, because I should not be here. I didn't want to write this book. Three people asked me to write it. And when the third person asked me to write it, who actually was you, I thought, you know what? Maybe there's something here. Maybe it would be a good read. And at the end of the day, no matter what people think about it, I feel a lot better about the person that my journey has made me.
0: Yeah, well I tell you, man, that was uh man, you you bore your soul there, Baird bore bore your soul there on that one. That was uh, unbelievable. But um yeah, let's let's uh, I mean, yeah, we could, like I say it is a podcast so we can kinda of meander around and it's kinda of just fun to talk to you, Brent. I haven't seen you in a I haven't seen you in a little while, but um so let's let's back it way up. Now you're a little bit older than than I am, and so your your racing started a little bit before me. And uh, I mean, obviously, I'm an Ontario guy; you're a BC guy, so our paths really didn't cross. But um man, let, let's. I've got two questions that I ask everybody, and I, I I don't care if people are bored of them; I still like them. What? How did you actually get into the motocross in the first place, and why did you get a bike? I mean, you talk about it in the book, but let's just let people know who haven't read it.
1: Um. Uh- well, like I said, my dad my dad was a biker, uh, a two-wheel biker on the street, the asphalt. Uh, he got into dirt bike racing. He was best friends with, I believe, 1970 Canadian national CMA 250 champion Bob Mutch, who owned Capilano Motorsports in Chilliwack. Uh, dad used to always take me out to the shop. And, of course, you know, being a kid and riding BMX or bicycles and stuff, I wanted a motocross bike there, a dirt bike anyway. It was an enduro back then, a little Uh, Yamaha 60s that I got. Uh, They had a church parking lot across the street. And being fitting, I learned how to ride a motorcycle in a church parking lot. And at the time, I wasn't too fond of church. But uh, (laughs) once I threw my leg over that motorcycle, all of a sudden my life became very exciting and it was game on for two wheels.
0: Right. Like like I said to everybody, I mean, not everybody gets into motorcycles or motocross specifically, but uh, what kid doesn't want to? I mean, once you get on a bike, there's nothing like it. I mean, you just can't. rules your life you know what i mean like uh here we are both (laughs) both old guys still talking about it and i'm sure we both uh got away from it came back it just pulls you back man you just cannot you cannot break the uh break the pole
1: yeah it's so special when i think back to my first ever race i mean i was like six years old 1972 at the lafarge uh cement plant just outside of cam where it now sits and it was a beautiful natural terrain uh, uphill start track, and of course I was on that little Enduro 60, and back then it was just a schoolboy class, you could ride anything from 60, 80cc, 100cc, whatever, right? <laughs> so I was the last one up the hill, my dad was up there with a the video camera, and he was waiting for me to come around the first lap, and before I even got there, there was a guy on a 1972 Husbarna, um, butt naked, with nothing but a helmet and a pair of boots on, streaking, so I think that pretty much qualified the era of times that I learned how to ride a dirt bike in. Years later, at a race uh, in Agassiz, we were sitting around the fire, and my dad brought up that story. And a guy looked across the fire and said, "That guy on the husky was me," and that was Captain Marvel, the late Marv Cross.
0: That's awesome! And that stories how paths cross and then recross and connect again. That's amazing. Small, it's obviously, a pretty small world, but still.
1: Hmm. So my, my dirt bike, once I my got it, my little sixty became my sanctuary. I uh, quickly graduated to the eighty and spent spent a lot of time on small bikes worked through the ranks to the point where um I won the national title in Quebec in 1980 it was a lot of fun to write about that story a lot of those guys um have moved on to other things some are still involved in the sport and um it was just a lot of fun to to write and connect the dots on my timeline and as well as weave some pertinent events into uh from our sport as well as the historical world into my story to keep it interesting i thought that was uh,
0: Good job there. Yeah, for sure. No, for sure. Now, I got to ask you my second question before I dive into some of the subjects a little bit more here. But uh, what did you pick as your, I mean, back in our day, I guess uh, if you had a Yamaha, they they came with a number one on them. But uh, what was your first race number and uh, how come you picked it?
1: Uh, My first race number, I believe, was 495. And that's what the the CMA sent out. Really? You just signed up? Uh, Actually, you know what? No, my first number was forty three. And I'm at Yamaha 60 and I wore a Montreal Canadiens jersey and I was never a Montreal fan. I was a Boston fan and Yeesh. not sure why I wore the Montreal jersey. My mom probably told me to go to my drawer and pick my least favorite sweater or something like that because <laughs> it was going to get dirty.
0: <laughs> Who is 43? Pardon my ignorance.
1: Um Back then, I have no idea. I think uh, a BC old timer by the name of Bill Fogg ran number 43. I think while we love you, smiling right now. I think I nailed that one.
0: Okay. Um. All right, Brent. Well, man. Okay. So uh, the book. Okay, the book. One thing. I mean, would you? I guess obviously, I think I know the answer to this, obviously. But had you not had that crash in Walton, do you think the stuff you'd gone through was enough to make you write a book, kind of thing, or did this all just come together? Because I mean, reading the book, it's not just about that incident, man. You've uh, you've really gone through some stuff.
1: Yeah, and that's a really good point, Billy. And thanks for bringing it up. Motocross only saved my life from its darkness as a result of making a decision about 10 years before my spinal cord injury to put the plug in the jug and start living life on life's terms and not self-medicating everything that you had uh, alluded to in the book because there was a lot of heavy shit that I had buried pretty deep.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, what, when you started writing this book, did you know you were going to go that deep and, uh, I mean, and bear it all like that or did that just kind of come as you kept writing?
1: No, I, I did. And, um, you know, I was writing for MXP magazine. And when I shut everything down at the end of 2016 to write the book, I had no idea it was going to take two years to write. Um, But I, I wrote that letter and, and I meant it because I knew it was going to be a marathon and I didn't know what was going to happen. And honestly, based on my life's history, I had no idea that I was even going to succeed. I didn't know. I, I really didn't know. And that's a pretty scary situation to be in. But I committed daily. I was more determined and dedicated to doing this project than anything I've ever done in my life.
0: Right. Now, now I know you uh, you traveled around a lot, too, right? Like, you went to some... I thought you were going to talk a little bit more about Evil Knievel and his influence on you and stuff, because I know you went to Snake River Canyon and all that stuff, right? Like, you, you went to a lot of sites to actually kind of get the, get the vibe, I guess? Or what did you do?
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. The, the first place we went was to Twin Falls, Idaho. It's about... Uh, 12 hours from here, where Evil 1974, September 8th uh, attempted to jump the Snake Berber Canyon about half a mile across in that uh, X2 Sky Cycle, the Bob Truax built uh, steam powered rocket. <laughs>
0: that, let's be honest, that was ridiculous.
1: <laughs> well, uh, may, maybe to you it was, but to, uh, this eight-year-old at the time, it made perfect sense. Oh,
0: and I mean, no, I mean, I was watching it, but it was like, what? This isn't even a motor. What is he even doing? We're just firing a rocket across the, across the chasm.
1: Hey, you know what? Talk about different times. Watch some of the YouTube videos from that event. and To sit there on the top of that mound that uh, Gisela somehow miraculously pushed me to the top of <laughs> was just absolutely awe-inspiring incredible. I've been back twice since.
0: <laughs> I will say that probably the greatest toy of all time is the Evil Knievel wind-up uh, motorcycle thing.
1: Uh, absolutely. Uh, I got that for Christmas in, I believe, about 1975 or 1976. I was snooping around with my buddy in the crawl space one day, and, and we found it. And it was just like, that was probably one of the coolest things. I've checked on eBay to try and find one today in any type of working condition, but forget it. Those things are an arm and a leg, and my legs don't work.
0: Yeah, I don't care what anybody says about anything, but uh, I will say Evil Can Evil wind up toy, a big wheel, and uh, what was the other one I wanted to say? A big wheel, and uh, I had three things I wanted to say that are the greatest things. The only three, oh, an Atari 2600.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty much on point for sure. (laughs) Evil was my first ever. two-wheeled hero and you know that never really went away it never goes away i mean once it's in our blood if you're like me it's there for life and you know i i did the responsible thing or, or so i thought i settled down i got a decent job at the city of vancouver and um But there was always something missing in my life, and I never, ever really knew what it was. And once I got back on on two wheels, all I wanted to do was fly. I wanted to be in the air. I went out to Barnhartville. I mean, it was scary. I hadn't been on a motorcycle for 25 years, and I was hitting that freestyle jump, you know, doing doing things like that. I just wanted to make up for everything that I felt I had missed on two wheels, and I got back onto the track. Uh, out at Whispering Pines there went to a practice day and one of the first guys I had seen uh saw there was Jim Small hadn't seen Jimmy for years and he had a big smile on his face because a guy like me hasn't seen for years there on a two-stroke and hmm. it was game on I started racing in 2009 2010 I won a BC championship uh, in the old guy class albeit but uh, put 30-year bookends on provincial titles is is a pretty cool feat in my mind
0: Oh, man. Yeah. I, th- I mean, yeah, you went, uh, you might have gone a little too hard uh, when you came back, Brent, uh, looking back.
1: <laughs> well, well, sadly, that's the type of individual I've a- I am, and I've, I've grown to accept that about myself. And it's just, when I'm in, I'm all in, not just a little bit all in. Um when I wrote this book, I knew it was going to be all in. I, I did a lot of research. I mean, you've read the book, and there's a lot of things in the book that. Um, took a while to figure out and get the facts right on
0: well hey let me ask you this some of the stuff was almost cringeworthy is there anything you look back and go yeah maybe maybe i could have left that out or is there something that you left out that you should have put in
1: yeah i don't know what the statutes of limitation are on certain things (laughs) at at the end of the day it's done i'm here i'm accountable and even though my legs don't work i am a stand-up man
0: Is there anything in there that you think uh, that you can tell us now that maybe you thought, because you can say whatever you want. This is a podcast. We can do whatever we want. Is there something that uh, happened that maybe you you almost put in but
1: decided not to? Um, no, I, I don't think I, there, 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 you know, I, there's a couple of things. I mean, some of the things that I was involved in are some, you know, some pretty bad stuff. Uh, And things like, even though I say that I've written the book, I'm not proud of the content, I'm proud of of the man I've become as a result, but looking back at some of the things that I buried way, way underneath the surface, I mean, those scars are there for life, and I don't want to talk about them. I want to focus forward now. I spent almost three years... Looking back, internalizing, and literally beating the shit out of myself for everything that I did. And I can't do that anymore because that's a death sentence for anyone. I have to focus forward positively on a daily basis or else I won't make it.
0: Right. Now, um, speaking of that, you you kind of mentioned too near the end of the book, which surprised me when you're kind of talking about up-to-date stuff, that you still are struggling with some things. I, I I didn't realize that.
1: Uh in, in what regard my I mean my health is just
0: Well not that. I mean obviously you're with the obvious complications with what you're going through now, but maybe the alcohol kind of stuff and everything, you kinda of sounded like you were at the end of the book kinda of sounded like you still had a lot of work to do.
1: Oh no. I, I haven't had a drink for um after I got her to rehab, I, I wrote in the book how I, I left the spinal cord rehab. Um things were overwhelming for me there. I was battling that thirty thousand dollar medical bill and it was just Fear set in and fear is just F everything and run, and that's what I did. I went and just got as bombed as possible, but uh, that didn't last long because this body that I live in right now will not tolerate anything. I, I have to be as true to myself as I can be. It's just physically, I'm one drink away from death. Alcohol is a poison to me.
0: Okay, now, now um. You, you also, I mean, obviously, you've gone through tons of stuff. It's the bladder is your thing, right? Like, how many bladder surgeries have you had now?
1: Oh, uh, boy. I don't know. I go in every three months, have Botox, Botox injected. I had um, some other things done in Kelowna a couple of weeks ago, and they're injecting uh, Botox into other parts of my body right now to control the violent spasticity. You've never looked over. better.
0: Ren. You've never looked better. What's that? I say, you've never looked
1: yeah. better. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding? Yeah, ex, it's, botox jokes. I mean, I mean, thankfully they can do all of this now, and, and they have all these different types of tests, like the aerodynamic tests that gauge when I put fluid into to my bladder how quickly and how voluntarily it voids. With me, my bladder would recognize 50 cc the fluid and it starts to void. So, volatile. So volatile, he did it sucks sediment up into my kidneys and it gives me the bladder infections and makes me sick. So I have the Botox injections every three months to keep that in check, but uh, not going to happen now because with everything going on, but, but that's all right. I'll get through. I've got some oral meds that I take as well and just have to do my best and hope for the best.
0: Man. Okay. Now, as I was reading and we were closing in, I'm like, oh no, he's not going to say it. He's not going to say it. He's not going to say it. You said it. About okay, so let me let me paint the scene here. Walton, we're there, all of a sudden there's a delay in the action. I'm over at my uh I'm over at uh Carmen, the big old Buick station wagon, and i and words come yeah, around that someone was hurt, and I'm like, Oh geez, man, I wonder who the heck that is. And someone says it's you, it's Brent over there. I'm like, ah oh, shit. I go, he's here all the way from BC. I go, I'm gonna run over there, give him a familiar face and voice to hear while he's down. I'll go over, try to calm him down. <laughs> And you paint the picture that it did the exact opposite.
1: (laughs) Yeah, uh, like you said, Billy, you know me, I know you. And when I looked up and saw that bright aura of light um, emanating from the crowd of people, which your face was the first one I made eye contact with and focused in on, the look in your face cast back to me told me the exact nature of the world of hurt that i was in because literally when i hit the ground like everything imploded inside of me i could feel it it was just like a nuclear explosion inside my body
0: wow man Whew. yeah so okay so i mean i don't know how much you need to talk about that but i mean that was uh what actually happened you went nah, i don't know how much we need to talk about this but i mean you left and you went to a local place and you got you f- taken somewhere else kind of thing ended up in london right like, or did you go straight to london
1: uh, no, I went to, they, they flew me to, or drove me to Seaforth and then flew me to London. But the, the last thing I remember was coming to after, um, Carol got the oxygen in my lungs and then making eye contact with you and seeing everybody and then being loaded into the back of the ambulance. And that was it. I don't remember much more after that until, uh, being in London hospital there, coming to and, you know, the aftermath, the tornado, everything. It was just complete insanity.
0: Right, on the one hand, we had you doing that, and then we had Tyler and Heidi having a baby.
1: Yeah, that in itself is kind of cool. always have a special connection with that little guy, little Tyler Medaglia. He was <laughs> born just down the hall somewhere. they were saving my life.
0: Now, it's funny, too, like, standing there and just watching Carol, I mean, I, I explained this to Emily, who obviously is in a similar field and everything, I just just... I was amazed at how calm she stayed and how she ran and everything. And Emily just kind of looked at me without missing a beat and said, yeah, that's what we do. And I'm like, yeah, but yeah, but." And I'm like, well, I guess maybe that is what you do. But I was just so impressed with her.
1: Yeah. And, you know, let's face it, that jump they had built there, that triple step down at Walton was brand new, and there were some uh, rust leading into it. And the head flagger that day was Mark Hosey. And let's give Mark some love, too, because as soon as I hit that pulse neutral, I, I had enough time to say survive survived, survived three times. And as soon as he saw me hit that neutral, he started waving that medical red cross flag like his life and mine depended on. it. And Gisela just happened to be standing right there. There was a bunch of other people right there too. And Carol did like the 200-yard dash from where they were stationed a little bit further to the uh, southeast. And her efforts literally saved my life. Like I I would have died in no time flat had Carol not got there and got air into my lungs.
0: Right, right. Now, I I equate Mark Hosey to, uh, like, remember Killer Dwarf on the MX Forum. I equate him to, uh, like, a hockey NHL fighter. Angry on the outside, well, you know, blah, 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 but probably the biggest softie in there, probably the biggest heart. You know what I mean? He's, like, one of those guys.
1: Yeah, I I hadn't spoke spoke with Mark for a while. I followed him on social media, and, you know, he was good enough to put us up as a friend when we went back there that year. And, um, you know, it's really hard to believe it's going to be what – nine ten years this summer eight nine ten i've lost track it's 2011 so nine years this august 18th
0: 2011 that was eh wow do i have less hair (laughs) do we have less hair
1: (laughs) i i have no idea i have none i have uh, a great big huge lump on my head that i need to have removed as well but um that's been put on hold too so
0: who knows oh great okay all right so let's talk about uh when someone wants to go about writing a book, uh, like a, an autobiography, how, how the heck do you go about it? I mean, you go through all these experiences, you just start writing like you say, and then who goes over like who goes over all the all the stuff you put down?
1: Well it, it depends on you know how, how you do it, right? Like how I chose to do it. Like I literally researched everything myself. I found a publishing company, uh, the biggest one, in fact, I think the only one. In Western Canada, the self-publishing biggest biggest in North America, Friesen Press. And you know, as I said, I had to write the manuscript and worked with a team of five. They basically made suggestions. A team of five wouldn't... at the
0: publishing company.
1: Pardon me. Team of five at
0: the publishing company. No, it's called Friesen Press. Okay, at the, okay. So a team with those guys. Yes. Gotcha.
1: Yeah, so I just, I went through everything and worked over everything they sent me, but before, before I even hired the publishing company, I wrote the 187,000 word manuscript and I figured out how to do it on my own. And be it right or wrong, it's the way I did it. And I think one of the things that I kept coming back to was writing in all five senses.
0: Oh yeah.
1: As to, as to engage the reader and not try and bore the reader. So I think I hit my mark there, but. There again, this is my story, and I only see what I see. So to get feedback from others is, is very
0: helpful. Yeah, I thought you did a good job on that. Uh, you know, you read some books, and it's nothing but color and flowery and description. I thought you walked a good line between describing what you were seeing around you with, without being too, you know, it wasn't Shakespeare. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was good. You got the point, and you painted the picture nicely, and you just kept moving forward. I thought, I thought you did a good balance there.
1: And the other thing, too, is at the end of the day, I really wanted to give back to our sport. Like, to me, this is, it, it's its not a gift to me. Yeah, It's cool that I did it. It feels good, and it feels good to be able to share my story in hopes that others don't have to, you know, be in a position where they want to take their own life like I was often. Um, But to give something back to our sport, um motocross, you know, I talk about the stick and ball sports and ice hockey, which was a big part of my life, but Nothing really did the same thing for me as motocross did. And our sport, I mean, even without what's going on right now, it's in trouble. Like, I mean, let's face it. There was 41 450s to qualify for the Daytona Supercross. Let's get that number up. Yeah, they're on the right track with Supercross City Futures. When I were down in Arizona, it's awesome. You were at Daytona and stuff. But our sport is in trouble. And to me, I just thought if I could leave a legacy of this book as to what the sport did for me through some and help drag me through some pretty tough times. Then it would be worthwhile,
0: right? Now, I, I'll tell you through obviously knowing you and then your uh, Canadian Moto Show, your you know your podcast that you that you did there before. Uh, I read every word in your voice. It was kind of funny. I, I every time I put the book down, I go, "Yeah, I did it again." I just read that whole thing in your voice. It was kind of funny.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for that, and. That's a good segue into the, the audio book that I wanted to get done, but not alive. I thought doing this book was expensive. Oh,
0: really? Really? You can't do that on your own? Sounds like something you could do on your own.
1: Yeah, I'm sure I probably could. But honestly, after spending the basically the last three years of my life writing this book, I don't want to do that again. I really don't.
0: Oh, you could just sit there and turn the pages and read it and record it.
1: Well, and I've been reading it, and I'm really enjoying it now, too, so that's kind of rewarding as well, knowing that I'm not reading it, critiquing um, punctuation, content, years, dates, name, spelling, you know what I'm saying, right? Because it's a lot of pressure. When you drop 417-page um, works. you better make sure you got your facts straight.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, too, like what I, I know, like, obviously, it must drive people nuts who write songs and they become a hit. And they're like, oh, I wish I hadn't said that one word or said that that way. Do you when you're reading it, like you say, you're not really critiquing it, but there's got to be some stuff you're reading. And go, man, man, why didn't I say this or how come I said it like that?
1: Well, yeah. Getting back to what I was saying about giving something back to our sport is I w- wanted to write it in a voice that somebody who picked up the book that wasn't involved in motocross or didn't know anything about motocross might be intrigued. And want to know more about motocross. And one of the guys on the team that I worked with at and Press said, "You know what, Brent? I never knew a thing about motocross before I read your book. Now that I've read it, I truly believe it's going to save somebody's life. And I now want to go to a motocross race." Hmm. That put a smile on my face.
0: Yeah, you know, and it's funny too. I think I think what we find in uh, in our motocross world is that nothing works to the general public when you try to make it motocross specific like movies don't seem to work rap songs don't seem to work books probably don't work either you know what i mean you have to bring it into real life is that's exactly what you did you you brought in the motocross stuff obviously but there's so much other stuff with your life that like you say someone who isn't like us moto people would still like it
1: yeah Yeah. and and that's why i'm just working as hard as i can to you know try and you know, drum up some interest for my story within my own core of friends, of course, and outside it. I mean, Gisela and I have been quite busy. We've been to a couple of schools. I'm so proud that my book is now in a few different high schools and different areas. I went into one elementary school here after the book was released and, and gave a talk at the human book and different things like that. But unfortunately, with the way of the world right now and social distancing and everything like that, it's uh, almost looking like there's going to be another six months to a year on bold for this cowboy but that's all right if it's for a greater good I'm down with it
0: well look you've got nothing better to do now than to read your book out loud and record it
1: <laughs> yeah that, that that may happen one of the things I've learned throughout this whole process and journey is never to say never it's just it's crazy
0: this <laughs> thing called life oh all right, now, uh, what else was I going to ask you there? I just had, uh, what about to anybody approach you? I mean, this might be the story, a motocross story that works as a screenplay. Any uh, any interest in that, or are you throwing that around?
1: Uh, no, I mean, I'm just a, a small guy. Like I said, I'm not a cape-wearing hero by any stretch of the imagination. I feel very grateful. I'm deeply indebted to the sport of motocross. People like yourself, who work tirelessly through thick and thin, like you're doing right now, to keep content generated to keep people focused on other things things that they enjoy like the sport of motocross and other things but i mean who knows it's you know i believe in the butterfly effect the ripple effect you name it it's um who knows anything's possible
0: nice okay all right so what? um so what have you got going on right now i mean obviously where's gizla is gizla at work or is gizla at home
1: no, and, um, yeah people if you'd be so kind the books right now at amazon.ca about 32% off and every other platform I was on Barnes and Noble last night they've got the book reduced a lot of places that are selling books like Amazon and places like that know that people um it's it's tough times right now so they're offering discounts on shipping and you know the price of the books and things like that so Gisela is in the back bedroom. Her job is on hold, too, because she is a health care giver, but the home that she works in is under lockdown, and right. um, I just have no idea where it's going to go. Uh, just like everybody else, one day at a time and, and hope for the best, and the power of positivity and prayer, we'll get through it
0: now what uh what else do you have going on like uh canadian moto show i know you've still got uh, i see you liking the other thing on instagram i know you're still kind of on social media doing some things what what's the future there
1: yeah i there again i'm not sure yet i was actually supposed to be heading down to vancouver to 700 west georgia to sit in the nw studio with uh linda Steele and talk on steel talk about how motocross saved my life but even she and everybody else is working from home so that's not going to happen so in the immediate future for this year anyway i plan to you know get out go to the races be there um where we like to be have some copies of the book if people are interested they pick up a copy of the book and at the end of the day just hang out watch some racing and be in our collective happy place at the track but uh, who knows what's going to happen you and i had some dialogue about this and <laughs> I spoke with Ryan Lockhart on the phone the other day, and a couple other industry people, and it's just who knows what's going to happen. But with uh, the current climate, it looks like everybody's going to stay home.
0: Yeah, I mean the fact that Hangtown just got canceled, and that's you know that's that's after our would be first round of arena cross so i mean that's kind of got everybody uh, a little on edge of course i had a brief talk with justin thompson a couple of night- nights ago actually <laughs> pretty late at night we were texting back and forth and stuff but uh he's still staying positive and obviously he's got to wait to make the final decision he can't uh can't cancel when you know you know i guess they've obviously got a uh he says he's got an a b and c plan uh for how to go forward with all this stuff he's also got some pretty good big big news coming up so he says he wants to kind of you know release some pretty big news once a week coming up which uh it all sounds pretty positive but that is assuming we can actually get to the racing so that's going to be the uh that's going to be the stumbling block right there obviously
1: yeah and just, you know the first thing i i think of is when i see guys riding their bikes and stuff at tracks and like if i fall off and bust a collarbone or a wrist or something like that no i gotta go to the hospital i'm just like oh my god i just uh now, again, I'm part of the healthcare problem and not the solution. So it's a real fine line. But at the end of the day, you know, life goes on.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've been doing things, you know, I get out. It's a nice time for everybody to get pretty fit, I guess, right? You can do some exercising, get out for a run, a bike ride. And and then I hear this stuff about, okay, yeah, I, get out for, I can't run anymore because of my knee. But, you know, getting out for a cycle or, you know, Emily, somebody getting out for a run. It's like, ooh, be careful. You can get the stuff on your shoes. You got to, oh, my God, now we got to worry about our shoes when we come in the house. You know what I mean? Like, what do we? put the shoes on the roof or what
1: <laughs> yeah there's just i mean how far do we want to entertain those thoughts but i mean at the end of the day this, this afternoon the sun's out here in the okanagan it's probably going to be up to 10 degrees yeah there's lots of dust on the road but gizla and i are going to get out for a bike ride i mean oh, great. for my for everybody's mental health we have to do something like that just be safe friends
0: yeah for sure now let's say someone's listening to this and they're like hey, you know what maybe i will grab a copy of this book what's the I'm not, like I'm actually on your website here right now, the Brentworld.com slash Motocross Save My Life. But to, would is that where you would direct people to go to uh to buy it maybe for the best deal, or where, where should they go to buy the book?
1: Yeah, on the Brentworld.com on the book page, which is the Motocross Save My Life page, at the bottom of that page there is ten buying options. Oh, I see it. So you've got the the Friesen's Press, Amazon.ca, Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, Chapters Indigo, Kindle, Google Play, Kobo, Apple Books, and Nook. The books distributed through the Ingram Distribution Book uh, Group, which is the largest book distributor in North America. So that was, you know, the deciding factor for me going with this publishing packaging package that I went with, just because it was going to be all linked directly and would limit what I had to do physically.
0: Okay. Now I just scrolled past that uh, buying options and I saw, I just, I actually just put that up on the website. Just, I hadn't seen it yet, but the whole, uh, the Johnny Airtime, for those of you out there our age, you'll remember Johnny Airtime from his uh, TV appearances and stuff back in the day. Pretty good testimonial from him.
1: Yeah, Roger Wells, um, Johnny Airtime, he, he did a lot for two-wheeled ramp jumpers, most successful in history. In my opinion, anyway, 4,350 ramp to ramp jumps of over 100 feet. And <laughs> needless to say, many major motion, motion picture roles, uh, jumping that moving train in Hood, Oregon in 1980, over 200 feet on a CR500, just absolutely insane. But, uh, very calculated too. I mean, a lot of the guys who jumped back in the day, you know, the old just feel it. But, um, Roger being from the air, uh, with an Air Force background, um, uh, he he did a lot of good for two-wheel jumping, very successful career himself, and saved a lot of lives, in my opinion. What's his real name? When I had to, uh, Roger Wells.
0: Oh, there you go. Ro- Roger Wells, a.k.a. Johnny, your time.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. I had a spectacular jump plan way back in my day. You probably read about it. In I the did. Book, but, uh, yeah, I'm not uh, going to entertain any more thoughts about that. If people want to know what I'm talking about, they can pick up a copy of the book.
0: Yeah, well, I'll tell you, man. I, I I'm trying to think of a, a book that I read that I couldn't put down like that one. But and I don't think, and there isn't. And I can probably speak for just about anybody if you're listening to this podcast and haven't read it. I can guarantee you're going to have the same experience turning the pages. 417 pages. Next thing you know, you're done. Like it's it's amazing. So. Sure.
1: Yeah, and one of the other motives for writing the book, too, is, I mean, let's face it, I did a 25-year sentence away from the sport of motocross, and when I came back and, you know, walked up to people like Yari Hainan and Bob Thompson and Jim Small and some of them that I mentioned, uh, Brian Beaton, Kyle's dad, at, in Edmonton in 2008 at the National, and he looked at me like I'd just fallen off a turnip truck, and he grabbed my hat and he took it off, and he looked at me again and turned his head sideways. But, um yeah, a lot of history with a lot of people 25 years it's a a long time to be away so coming back i wanted to and and writing the book is i just wanted to have an explanation as to what happened to me what i got up to and a lot of the people that i have had the feedback from have said brent i picked that book up and you know three days later i was done i couldn't put it down and that tells me i've hit my mark
0: yeah for sure yeah to put it in supercross terms you hit your marks
1: (laughs) that's where that comes from supercross what's that
0: yeah, true. Hey, so let's let's let me ask you this: uh, on a scale of one to ten, before you wrote the book, where were you, and where are you now since you've written the book?
1: Oh my God! Scale of one to ten uh, in what regard? Physically, mentally, financially, emotionally, uh, bankrupt and all four. No, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man.
0: You tell me. I'm,
1: Okay. I I wrote a blog on the site. It's on the blog part of thebruntworld.com. It's called Mental Wealth Matters. It was a little bit raw the other day, but um, it just felt good to get all that stuff out because, you know, I I read something on social media I heard the other day that, yeah, you know, we talk to ourselves the most. So be very careful and kind as to what you say. And throughout this process of writing the book, I realized that my self-thought and my self-conditioning was horrible. Like, it's just... An innate response to hate on myself for just being so used to screwing up, being called an idiot, being whatever. So that that self-love and self-care, it didn't actually start for me until October 19th. And October 19th was the day that my book was officially published last year. And since then, I've started to heal inside, so I feel uh, in my spirit. Uh, I don't feel like a wounded animal every day. But at the same time, I'm dealing with, some, dealing with some pretty seriously physical and mental health issues that um, take a daily toll.
0: Right now, I mean, um, so when you meet, I mean, obviously a lot of people didn't know this about you. Is, do you find that uh, when you bump into people now, do they want to come up and give you a hug more than they did or any any difference when they come up
1: to you? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants to hug you. With the social distancing, I think that's a good thing, isn't
0: it? You know what I'm saying.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's just, um, I, I, I really don't know what to say. I just perceive my friends as I, I, I always perceive them. I, I appreciate the core base of, of friends that I have now. I, I didn't like people when I was active in my addiction. People didn't like me. It, it was, it was a good fit. Um, but, but now today I have friends, I can pick up the phone and people out there, if you're struggling in these times and you know, it's a pretty scary deal. We're all dealing with it and we're all in this deal together. Pick up the telephone, call your friends, reach out people with mental health issues. Yes, I have mental health issues. I have no problem with that. I'm not a dangerous person. Um, talk to your friends, let them know you care.
0: Right. Okay, Brent. Well, uh, before we let you go here, what, we, what about, uh, let's say we are racing. Who's going to, who are your picks in Canada? I, actually, it's funny. People always, Jeff McConkey, rest in peace, old Jeff there, but uh, he always did our predictions. He was never right, but he always did our predictions. And I liked what Ricky Carmichael said when somebody asked him to do predictions. He said, I don't do prediction. I don't make predictions. I analyze. And I kind of like that. So I like to pretend that's what I'm going to do because I don't want to uh, upset anyone usually. But uh, if we're going to predict this year, we got some big changes. we got some you know Dylan Wright moving up to the five hundred uh 500, to the 450 class and uh colton faciati gone who do you who do you got here?
1: Yeah, I've been doing a lot of thought about that. I mean we've got an aging crop uh in the four fifty class up top uh for the most part Dylan being the you know the new blood in that four fifty class and I just think he's gonna fit well and i'm I'm not crazy to think that I mean that kid can win the title.
0: Right so we're kind of looking at a replacement for Colton I mean it's that'd be his replacement on the team Dylan Wright we got Cole Thompson who seems to be the heir apparent right he's been around uh, kind of nipping at that for a long time where is Tyler Medalli going to fit i mean Phil Nicoletti is going to be tough to beat of course man it's just going to be uh it's going to be good in that 450 class at the top
1: yeah yeah for sure and that's right we got filthy Phil coming back and um I can only imagine he's chomping at the bit here with this whole scenario with there possibly not going to be a season. I mean, I at the end of the day, I hope there is a season. Does that have any effect on the 100K? Uh There's so many questions, but um I don't, I don't know what the answers are. But as a race fan, I can't wait till the gate drops. And, you know, like a lot of those guys are a little bit older, but the experience in the Canadian moto goes so far. I mean, look at Colton. He just, like a fine wine, kept getting better with age. It's going to be good.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, well um man, so people go out and buy this book. Motocross saved my life. And uh yeah, Brent, uh, anything else you want to mention before we let you go here?
1: Not a lot. Just uh be as safe as you can, friends, and thank you for your time, Billy. I really appreciate it. And like you said, the website to buy the book is Brentworld.com. And if you can afford a copy, it would definitely help us out. And if not, just do what you can to get us all through this in one piece
0: all right buddy well hey man great to uh great to hear that you're doing well and uh, hopefully you can keep selling some books pay the mortgage and uh we'll see you hopefully if we get racing out west hopefully we'll see you at calgary or kamloops certainly or wherever
1: and uh yeah. yeah personally i'm really looking forward to those two rounds of course uh back to kamloops is great calgary's is always good but uh, drum going to the badlands i think that's pretty cool
0: yeah, I'm pretty, uh, I don't, I've never seen the Badlands. I mean, I've flown over them. I've driven through the American Badlands. I've kind of peeked at them from Highway 1, but I've, uh, you know, I've never really driven in there. There's a dinosaur museum and everything.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, who knows what it's going to shake down, like, scheduling, but um, let's just hope for the best.
0: All right, Brent. Well, again, say hi to Giza. Uh, you're certainly your better half, and I uh, appreciate your time today.
1: Well thanks Bill I really appreciate your time and do your best to be safe and we'll talk soon.
0: All right thank you very much Brent we'll talk to you soon see you man Bye-bye.
1: bye bye. Bye.